But is Mrs. Stokes to be trusted? I doubt it. I do not know her, even by sight. I can answer for everything of that nature, sir, because it will be under Mrs. Weston's care. Mrs. Weston undertakes to direct the whole. There, Papa, now you must be satisfied. Our own dear Mrs. Weston, who is carefulness itself. Hey everybody, welcome back to another World Audiobook. So happy to have you here on this uh, fine day. Hope your day is going well and you are ready to carry on with the story of Emma. So excited I get to do another huge shout out from Andrea who contacted me on Facebook through the Another World Audiobooks Facebook page. If you're not following, make sure to go do that and you can get in touch just like Andrea did. She said, um, in love with this podcast, I'm currently listening to chapter four of The Hound of the Baskervilles and can't stop listening. I'm from Peru, South America, by the way. So howdy from, wow, Peru, South America. That's so cool. Thank you so much, Andrea, for commenting on the podcast and uh, I am sending her a free audiobook here once she gets back in touch with me so um andrea shoot me that email anotherworldaudiobooks at gmail.com and i'll get you that free audiobook as a thank you for just being part of the another world audiobooks family so happy to have you on board and uh, so happy that you are enjoying the hound of the baskervilles so might be a while till she actually listens to this particular episode but i'm so grateful to have listeners like andrea listening to the show and enjoying it and if you are i would love to hear from you because that just makes my day just to know there's real humans listening because all i see is little numbers on a screen so if you get in touch with me it just makes my day and lets me know that this is you know worthwhile and still worth doing because uh you know there's a lot of work that goes into it i love doing it and i'll keep doing it but just uh so so encouraging to to hear from you guys and and just letting me know that you like it and you're enjoying it if you if there's any other like suggestions or anything like that anything you want to change I'd love to hear from you on that as well. So thank you so much for listening. And if you want to get full audiobooks, you can actually go to anotherworldaudiobooks.com. There is a form, or not a form, but a button there about getting a free audiobook. So you can actually just go to the website and request a free audiobook, which is pretty sweet, if I do say so. So enough of that. Let's get on with it. Uh, two chapters here today, so a little bit longer of an episode. You're welcome. Of Emma. So now without further ado, let's get on to the next two chapters of Emma. Chapter 10 The appearance of the little sitting-room as they entered was tranquillity itself. Mrs. Bates, deprived of her usual employment, slumbering on one side of the fire. Frank Churchill, at a table near her, most deedily occupied about her spectacles, and Jane Fairfax, standing with her back to them, intent on her pianoforte. Busy as he was, however, the young man was yet able to show a most happy countenance on seeing Emma again. "'This is a pleasure,' said he in a rather low voice. "'Coming at least ten minutes earlier than I calculated. You find me trying to be useful. Tell me if you think I shall succeed.' "'What?' said Mrs. Weston. "'Have you not finished it yet?' You would not earn a very good livelihood as a working silversmith at this rate. I have not been working uninterruptedly, he replied. I have been assisting Miss Fairfax in trying to make her instrument stand steadily. It was not quite firm, an unevenness in the floor, I believe. You see, we have been wedging one leg with paper. This was very kind of you to be persuaded to come. I was almost afraid you would be hurrying home. He contrived that she should be seated by him, and was sufficiently employed in looking out the best-baked apple for her, and trying to make her help or advise him in his work, till Jane Fairfax was quite ready to sit down to the pianoforte again. 
That she was not immediately ready, Emma did suspect to arise from the state of her nerves. She had not yet possessed the instrument long enough to touch it without emotion. She must reason herself into the power of performance, and Emma could not but pity such feelings, whatever their origin, and could not but resolve never to expose them to her neighbour again. At last Jane began, and though the first bars were feebly given, the powers of the instrument were gradually done full justice too. Mrs. Weston had been delighted before, and was delighted again. Emma joined her in all her praise, and the pianoforte, with every proper discrimination, was pronounced to be altogether of the highest promise. "'Whoever Colonel Campbell might employ,' said Frank Churchill with a smile at Emma, "'the person is not chosen ill. I heard a good deal of Colonel Campbell's taste at Weymouth, and the softness of the upper notes, I am sure, is exactly what he and all that party would particularly prize.' I dare say, Miss Fairfax, that he either gave his friend very minute directions, or wrote to Broadwood himself. Do you not think so? Jane did not look round. She was not obliged to hear. Mrs. Weston had been speaking to her at the same moment. It is not fair, said Emma in a whisper. Mine was a random guess. Do not distress her. He shook his head with a smile, and looked as if he had very little doubt and very little mercy. Soon afterwards he began again. "'How much your friends in Ireland must be enjoying your pleasure on this occasion, Miss Fairfax. I dare say they often think of you, and wonder which will be the day, the precise day, of the instruments coming to hand. Do you imagine Colonel Campbell knows the business to be going forward just at this time?' Do you imagine it to be the consequence of an immediate commission from him, or that he may have sent only a general direction, an order indefinite as to time, to depend upon contingencies and conveniences? He paused. She could not but hear. She could not avoid answering. Till I have a letter from Colonel Campbell, said she, in a voice of forced calmness. I can imagine nothing with any confidence. It must be all conjecture. Conjecture, aye. Sometimes one conjectures right, and sometimes one conjectures wrong. I wish I could conjecture how soon I shall make this rivet quite firm. What nonsense one talks, Miss Woodhouse, when hard at work, if one talks at all. Your real workmen, I suppose, hold their tongues. But we gentlemen labourers, if we get hold of a word, Miss Fairfax says something about conjecturing. There, it is done. I have the pleasure, madame to Mrs. Bates, of restoring your spectacles, healed for the present. He was warmly thanked both by mother and daughter. To escape a little from the latter, he went to the pianoforte, and begged Miss Fairfax, who was still sitting at it, to play something more. "'If you are very kind,' said he, "'it will be one of the waltzes we danced last night. Let me live them over again. You did not enjoy them as I did.' You appeared tired the whole time. I believe you were glad we danced no longer. I would have given worlds, all the worlds one ever has to give, for another half-hour. She plays. What felicity it is to hear a tune again which has made one happy. If I mistake not, that was danced at Weymouth. She looked up at him for a moment, coloured deeply, and played something else. 
He took some music from a chair near the pianoforte, and turning to Emma, said, Here is something quite new to me. Do you know it? Kramer. And here are a new set of Irish melodies. That, from such a quarter, one might expect. This was all sent with the instrument. Very thoughtful of Colonel Campbell, was it not? He knew Miss Fairfax could have no music here. I honour that part of the attention particularly. It shows it must have been so thoroughly from the heart. Nothing hastily done. Nothing incomplete. True affection only could have prompted it. Emma wished he would be less pointed, yet could not help being amused. And when, on glancing her eye towards Jane Fairfax, she caught the remains of a smile, when she saw that with all the deep blush of consciousness there had been a smile of secret delight, she had less scruple in the amusement, and much less compunction with respect to her. This amiable, upright, perfect Jane Fairfax was apparently cherishing very reprehensible feelings. He brought all the music to her, and they looked it over together. Emma took the opportunity of whispering, "'You speak too plain. She must understand you.' <laughs> "'I hope she does. I would have her understand me. I'm not in the least ashamed of my meaning.' "'But really, I am half ashamed, and wish I had never taken up the idea.' "'I am very glad you did, and that you communicated it to me.' I have now a key to all her odd looks and ways. Leave shame to her. If she does wrong, she ought to feel it. She is not entirely without it, I think. I do not see a sign of it. She is playing Robin Adair this moment. His favourite. Shortly afterwards, Miss Bates, passing near the window, decried Mr. Knightley on horseback, not far off. "'Mr. Knightley, I declare I must speak to him, if possible, just to thank him. I will not open the window here. It will give you all cold. But I can go into my mother's room, you know. I dare say he will come in when he knows who is here. Quite delightful to have you all meet so, our little room so honoured.' She was in the adjoining chamber, while she still spoke, and opening the casement there, immediately called Mr. Knightley's attention, and every syllable of their conversation was as distinctly heard by the others, as if it had passed within the same apartment. "'How do you do? How do you do? Very well, I thank you. So obliged to you for the carriage last night. We were just in time, my mother just ready for us. Pray come in, do come in. You will find some friends here.' So began Miss Bates, and Mr. Knightley seemed determined to be heard in his turn, for most resolutely and commandingly did he say, "'How is your niece, Miss Bates? I want to inquire after you all, but particularly your niece. How is Miss Fairfax? I hope she got no cold last night. How is she today? Tell me how Miss Fairfax is.' And Miss Bates was obliged to give a direct answer before he would hear her in anything else. The listeners were amused, and Mrs. Weston gave Emma a look of particular meaning. But Emma still shook her head in steady scepticism. "'So obliged to you, so very much obliged to you for the carriage,' resumed Miss Bates. He cut her short with, "'I'm going to Kingston. Can I do anything for you?' "'Oh, dear Kingston, are you? Mrs. Cole was saying the other day she wanted something from Kingston.' "'Mrs. Cole has servants to send.' "'Can I do anything for you?' "'No, 
I thank you, but do come in. Who do you think is here? Miss Woodhouse and Miss Smith. So kind as to call to hear the new piano forte. Do put up your horse at the crown and come in. Well, said he, in a deliberating manner, for five minutes, perhaps. And here is Mrs. Weston and Mr. Frank Churchill, too. Quite delightful. So many friends. No, not now, I thank you. I could not stay two minutes. I must get on to Kingston as fast as I can. Oh, do come in. They will be so very happy to see you. No, no, your room is full enough. I will call another day and hear the pianoforte. Well, I am so sorry. Oh, Mr. Knightley, what a delightful party last night. How extremely pleasant. Did you ever see such dancing? Was not it delightful? Miss Woodhouse and Mr. Frank Churchill, I never saw anything equal to it. Oh, very delightful indeed. I can say nothing less, for I suppose Miss Woodhouse and Mr. Frank Churchill are hearing everything that passes, and, raising his voice still more, I do not see why Miss Fairfax should not be mentioned too. I think Miss Fairfax dances very well, and Mrs. Weston is the very best country dance player without exception in England. Now, if your friends have any gratitude, they will say something pretty loud about you and me in return, but I cannot stay to hear it. Oh, Mr. Knightley, one moment more. Something of consequence. So shocked. Jane and I are both so shocked about the apples. What is the matter now? To think of your sending us all your store apples. You said you had a great many, and now you have not one left. We are really so shocked. Mrs. Hodges may well be angry. William Larkins mentioned it here. You should not have done it. Indeed, you should not. Oh, he is off. He can never bear to be thanked. But I thought he would have stayed now, and it would have been a pity not to have mentioned. Well, returning to the room, I have not been able to succeed. Mr. Knightley cannot stop. He is going to Kingston. He asked if he could do anything. Yes, said Jane. We heard his kind offers. We heard everything. Oh, yes, my dear, I dare say you might, because you know the door was open and the window was open and Mr. Knightley spoke so loud. You must have heard everything, to be sure. Can I do anything for you at Kingston, said he. So I just mentioned... Oh, Miss Woodhouse, must you be going? You seem but just come. So very obliging of you. Emma found it really time to be at home. The visit had already lasted long, and on examining watches, so much of the morning was perceived to be gone, that Mrs. Weston and her companion, taking leave also, could allow themselves only to walk with the two young ladies to Hartfield Gates, before they set off for Randalls. Chapter 11 it may be possible to do without dancing entirely. Instances have been known of young people passing many, many months successively without being at any ball of any description, and no material injury accrue either to body or mind. But when a beginning is made, when the felicities of rapid motion have once been, though slightly, felt, it must be a very heavy set that does not ask for more. Frank Churchill had danced once at Highbury, and longed to dance again, and the last half-hour of an evening which Mr. Woodhouse was persuaded to spend with his daughter at Randall's was passed by the two young people in schemes on the subject. Frank's was the first idea, and his the greatest zeal in pursuing it, for the lady was the best judge of the difficulties, and the most solicitous for accommodation and appearance. But still, she had inclination enough for shewing people again— how delightfully Mr. Frank Churchill and Miss Woodhouse danced, 
for doing that in which she need not blush to compare herself with Jane Fairfax, and even for simple dancing itself, without any of the wicked aids of vanity, to assist him in first pacing out the room they were in, to see what it could be made to hold, and then in taking the dimensions of the other parlour, in the hope of discovering, in spite of all that Mr. Weston could say, of their exactly equal size, that it was a little the largest. His first proposition and request, that the dance begun at Mr. Cole's should be finished there, that the same party should be collected, and the same musician engaged, met with the readiest acquiescence. Mr. Weston entered into the idea with thorough enjoyment, and Mrs. Weston most willingly undertook to play as long as they would wish to dance, and the interesting employment had followed of reckoning up exactly who there would be, and portioning out the indispensable division of space to every couple. "'You and Miss Smith and Miss Fairfax will be three, and the two Miss Coxes five, had been repeated many times over. "'And there will be the two Gilberts, young Cox, my father, and myself, besides Mr. Knightley. "'Yes, that will be quite enough for pleasure. "'You and Miss Smith and Miss Fairfax will be three, and the two Miss Coxes five, "'and for five couples there will be plenty of room.' "'But soon it came to be on one side.' "'But will there be good room for five couple? "'I really do not think there will.' "'On another.' "'And after all, five couples are not enough to make it worth while to stand up. Five couple are nothing when one thinks seriously about it. "'It will not do to invite five couple. "'It can be allowable only as the thought of the moment.' "'Somebody said that Miss Gilbert was expected at her brother's "'and must be invited with the rest.' Somebody else believed Mrs. Gilbert would have danced the other evening if she had been asked. A word was put in for a second young Cox, and at last Mr. Weston naming one family of cousins who must be included, and another a very old acquaintance who could not be left out, it became a certainty that the five couple would be at least ten, and a very interesting speculation in what possible manner they could be disposed of. The doors of the two rooms were just opposite each other. "'Might not they use both rooms and dance across the passage?' "'It seemed the best scheme, and yet it was not so good "'but that many of them wanted a better. "'Emma said it would be awkward. "'Mrs. Weston was in distress about the supper, "'and Mr. Woodhouse opposed it earnestly on the score of health. "'It made him so very unhappy indeed "'that it could not be persevered in. "'Oh, no,' said he. "'It would be the extreme of imprudence. "'I could not bear it for Emma. "'Emma is not strong. "'She would catch a dreadful cold. "'So would poor little Harriet. "'So would you all, Mrs. Weston. "'You would be quite laid up. "'Do not let them talk of such a wild thing. "'Pray, do not let them talk of it. "'That young man,' speaking lower, "'is very thoughtless.' "'Do not tell his father, but that young man is not quite the thing. "'He has been opening the doors very often this evening, "'and keeping them open very inconsiderately. "'He does not think of the draught. "'I do not mean to set you against him, but indeed he is not quite the thing.' "'Mrs. Weston was sorry for such a charge. "'She knew the importance of it, and said everything in her power to do it away.' Every door was now closed, the passage plan given up, and the first scheme of dancing only in the room they were in restored to again. 
and with such good will on Frank Churchill's part that the space which a quarter of an hour before had been deemed barely sufficient for five couple was now endeavoured to be made out quite enough for ten. "'We were too magnificent,' said he. "'We allowed unnecessary room. Ten couple may stand here very well.' Emma demurred. "'It would be a crowd, a sad crowd, and what could be worse than dancing without space to turn in?' "'Very true,' he gravely replied. "'It was very bad.' But still he went on measuring, and still he ended with, "'I think there will be very tolerable room for ten couple.' "'No, no,' said she. "'You are quite unreasonable. It would be dreadful to be standing so close.' Nothing can be farther from pleasure than to be dancing in a crowd, and a crowd in a little room. There is no denying it, he replied. I agree with you exactly. A crowd in a little room. Miss Woodhouse, you have the art of giving pictures in a few words. Exquisite. Quite exquisite. Still, however, having proceeded so far, one is unwilling to give the matter up. It would be a disappointment to my father, and altogether, I do not know that I am rather of the opinion that ten couple might stand here very well. Emma perceived that the nature of his gallantry was a little self-willed, and that he would rather oppose than lose the pleasure of dancing with her. But she took the compliment and forgave the rest. Had she intended ever to marry him, it might have been worth while to pause and consider, and try to understand the value of his preference, and the character of his temper, but for all the purposes of their acquaintance he was quite amiable enough. Before the middle of the next day he was at Hartfield, and he entered the room with such an agreeable smile as certified the continuance of the scheme. It soon appeared that he came to announce an improvement. "'Well, Miss Woodhouse,' He almost immediately began. "'Your inclination for dancing has not been quite frightened away, I hope, by the terrors of my father's little rooms. I bring a new proposal on the subject, a thought of my father's which waits only your approbation to be acted upon. May I hope for the honour of your hand for the first two dances of this little projected ball to be given, not at Randall's, but at the Crown Inn?' "'The Crown?' "'Yes, if you and Mr. Woodhouse see no objection, and I trust you cannot, my father hopes his friends will be so kind as to visit him there. Better accommodations, he can promise them, and not a less grateful welcome than at Randall's. It is his own idea. Mrs. Weston sees no objection to it, provided you are satisfied. This is what we all feel. Oh, you were perfectly right. Ten couple in either of the Randall's rooms would have been insufferable, dreadful.' I felt how right you were the whole time, but was too anxious for securing anything to be like to yield. Is not it a good exchange? You consent? I hope you consent. It appears to me a plan that nobody can object to, if Mr. and Mrs. Weston do not. I think it admirable, and as far as I can answer for myself, shall be most happy. It seems the only improvement that could be. Papa, do you not think it an excellent improvement? She was obliged to repeat and explain it before it was fully comprehended, and then, being quite new, farther representations were necessary to make it acceptable. No, he thought it very far from an improvement, a very bad plan, much worse than the other, 
A room at an inn was always damp and dangerous, never properly aired or fit to be inhabited. If they must dance, they had better dance at Randall's. He had never been in the room at the Crown in his life, did not know the people who kept it by sight. Oh, no, a very bad plan. They would catch worse colds at the Crown than anywhere. I was going to observe, sir, said Frank Churchill that one of the great recommendations of this change would be the very little danger of anybody's catching cold, so much less danger at the crown than at Randall's. Mr. Perry might have reason to regret the alteration, but nobody else could. Sir, said Mr. Woodhouse rather warmly, you are very much mistaken if you suppose Mr. Perry to be that sort of character. Mr. Perry is extremely concerned when any of us are ill, but I do not understand how the room at the Crown can be safer for you than your father's house. From the very circumstance of its being larger, sir, we shall have no occasion to open the windows at all, not once the whole evening. And it is that dreadful habit of opening the windows, letting in cold air upon heated bodies, which, as you well know, sir, does the mischief. Open the windows? But surely, Mr. Churchill, nobody would think of opening the windows at Randall's. Nobody could be so imprudent. I never heard of such a thing. Dancing with open windows. I'm sure neither your father nor Mrs. Weston... Poor Miss Taylor that was, would suffer it. Ah, sir, but a thoughtless young person will sometimes step behind a window curtain and throw up a sash without it being suspected. I have often known it done myself. Have you indeed, sir? Bless me, I never could have supposed it. But I live out of the world, and am often astonished at what I hear. However, this does make a difference, and perhaps, when we come to talk it over, but these sorts of things require a good deal of consideration. One cannot resolve upon them in a hurry. If Mr. and Mrs. Weston will be so obliging as to call here one morning, we may talk it over and see what can be done. But, unfortunately, sir, my time is so limited. Oh, interrupted Emma. There will be plenty of time for talking everything over. There is no hurry at all. If it can be contrived to be at the Crown, Papa, it will be very convenient for the horses. They will be so near their own stable. So they will, my dear. That is a great thing. Not that James ever complains, but it is right to spare our horses when we can. If I could be sure of the rooms being thoroughly aired, but... Is Mrs. Stokes to be trusted? I doubt it. I do not know her, even by sight. I can answer for everything of that nature, sir, because it will be under Mrs. Weston's care. Mrs. Weston undertakes to direct the whole. There, papa, now you must be satisfied. Our own dear Mrs. Weston, who is carefulness itself. Do not you remember what Mr. Perry said so many years ago, when I had the measles? If Miss Taylor undertakes to wrap Miss Emma up, you need not have any fears, sir. How often have I heard you speak of it as such a compliment to her? Ay, very true. Mr. Perry did say so. I shall never forget it. Poor little Emma, you were very bad with the measles. That is, you would have been very bad, but for Perry's great attention. He came four times a day for a week. 
He said, from the first, it was a very good sort, which was our great comfort. But the measles are a dreadful complaint. I hope whenever poor Isabella's little ones have the measles, she will send for Perry. My father and Mrs. Weston are at the crown at this moment, said Frank Churchill. Examining the capabilities of the house, I left them there and came on to Hartfield, impatient for your opinion, and hoping you might be persuaded to join them, and give your advice on the spot. I was desired to say so from both. It would be the greatest pleasure to them if you could allow me to attend you there. They can do nothing satisfactorily without you. Emma was most happy to be called to such a council, and her father, engaging to think it all over while she was gone, the two young people set off together without delay for the crown. There were Mr. and Mrs. Weston, delighted to see her and receive her approbation, very busy and very happy in their different way, she in some little distress, and he finding everything perfect. "'Emma,' said she, "'this paper is worse than I expected. Look, in places you see it is dreadfully dirty.' and the wainscot is more yellow and forlorn than anything I could have imagined. "'My dear, you are too particular,' said her husband. "'What does all that signify? You will see nothing of it by candlelight, and it will be as clean as Randall's by candlelight. We never see anything of it on our club nights.' The ladies here probably exchanged looks which meant, "'Men never know when things are dirty or not.' And the gentleman perhaps thought each to himself— Women will have their little nonsenses and needless cares. One perplexity, however, arose, which the gentleman did not disdain. It regarded a supper-room. At the time of the ballroom's being built, suppers had not been in question, and a small card-room adjoining was the only addition. What was to be done? This card-room would be wanted as a card-room now, or, if cards were conveniently voted unnecessary by their full selves, still, was it not too small for any comfortable supper? Another room of much better size might be secured for the purpose, but it was at the other end of the house, and a long, awkward passage must be got through to get at it. This made a difficulty. Mrs. Weston was afraid of draughts for the young people in that passage, and neither Emma nor the gentleman could tolerate the prospect of being miserably crowded at supper. Mrs. Weston proposed having no regular supper, merely sandwiches, etc., set out in the little room, but that was scouted as a wretched suggestion. A private dance, without sitting down to supper, was pronounced an infamous fraud upon the rights of men and women. And Mrs. Weston must not speak of it again. She then took another line of expediency, and, looking into the doubtful room, observed, "'I do not think it is so very small.' We shall not be many, you know. And Mr. Weston, at the same time, walking briskly with long steps through the passage, was calling out, You talk a great deal of the length of this passage, my dear. It is a mere nothing at all, and not the least draught from the stairs. I wish, said Mrs. Weston, one could know which arrangement our guests in general would like best. To do what would be most generally pleasing must be our object— if one could but tell what that would be. Yes, very true, cried Frank, very true. You want your neighbour's opinions. I do not wonder at you. If one could ascertain what the chief of them, the Coles, for instance, 
They are not far off. Shall I call upon them? Or Miss Bates? She is still nearer, and I do not know whether Miss Bates is not as likely to understand the inclinations of the rest of the people as anybody. I do not think we want a larger council. Suppose I go and invite Miss Bates to join us. Well, if you please, said Mrs. Weston, rather hesitating, if you think she will be of any use. You will get nothing to the purpose from Miss Bates, said Emma. She will be all delight and gratitude, but she will tell you nothing. She will not even listen to your questions. I see no advantage in consulting Miss Bates. But she is so amusing, so extremely amusing. I am very fond of hearing Miss Bates talk, and I need not bring the whole family, you know. Here Mr. Weston joined them, and on hearing what was proposed, gave it his decided approbation. "'I do, Frank. Go and fetch Miss Bates, and let us end the matter at once. She will enjoy the scheme, I am sure. And I do not know a properer person for showing us how to do away difficulties. Fetch Miss Bates. We are growing a little too nice. She is a standing lesson of how to be happy. But fetch them both. Invite them both.' Both, sir. Can the old lady... The old lady? No, the young lady, to be sure. I shall think you a great blockhead, Frank, if you bring the aunt without the niece. Oh, I beg your pardon, sir. I did not immediately recollect. Undoubtedly, if you wish it, I will endeavour to persuade them both. And away he ran. Long before he reappeared, attending the short, neat, brisk-moving aunt and her elegant niece, Mrs. Weston, like a sweet-tempered woman and a good wife, had examined the passage again, and found the evils of it much less than she had supposed before. Indeed, very trifling, and here ended the difficulties of decision. All the rest, in speculation at least, was perfectly smooth. All the minor arrangements of table and chair, lights and music, tea and supper, made themselves, or were left as mere trifles to be settled at any time between Mrs. Weston and Mrs. Stokes. Everybody invited was certainly to come. Frank had already written to Enscombe to propose staying a few days beyond his fortnight, which could not possibly be refused. A delightful dance it was to be. Most cordially, when Miss Bates arrived, did she agree that it must. As a counsellor, she was not wanted, but as an approver, a much safer character, she was truly welcome. Her approbation, at once general and minute, warm and incessant, could not but please. And for another half-hour they were all walking to and fro between the different rooms, some suggesting, some attending, and all in happy enjoyment of the future. The party did not break up without Emma's being positively secured for the two first dances by the hero of the evening, nor without her overhearing Mr. Weston whisper to his wife, "'He asked her, my dear,' That's right, I knew he would. My goodness, who knew there's so much effort that goes into planning a party? Uh, you can tell I'm not uh, much of a party planner type of person. <laughs> so I hope you guys are enjoying Emma. If you are, again, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much to our patrons who support the show. If you want to become a patron, go to anotherworldaudiobooks.com, and there's a button there. There's also a button to buy merch and all kinds of cool stuff, so check it out, anotherworldaudiobooks.com. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.